Hello, we are Restoration Church Chicago and welcome to our podcast. You can connect with us through our website, restoration.life, as well as on Facebook and Instagram. Our mission is to glorify Jesus everywhere, and that includes right here, right now. Thanks for tuning in. Um, I'm excited to be teaching on this series and to be kicking it off. Um, I, some, most of you know that I'm actually in a class right now on the Old Testament. So I get to use some of the stuff I've been learning, which is really fun for me. And I will say when studying the Old Testament, man, we are so privileged to be when we are, living when we are in the new covenant with Jesus. We're so privileged. We're incredibly privileged. Um, the things they had to walk through and go through. Um, intense is not a strong enough word. But so I'm thankful for the time we're in and that we have the Holy Spirit and that we have Jesus from studying. But I want to share a Noah this morning. And I'm already starting off with tears. So yeah, do you mind getting me a tissue? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best to keep it together for everyone. But you know me, I can tend to be a crier. <laughs> um, thank you, Mike. Noah, like Hugh said, is listed in the Hebrews Hall of Fame, right? The Faith Hall of Fame of Hebrews chapter 11. And he's an example of faith in action to us. And Noah and the flood is such a popular story, right? I mean, everybody knows the story of Noah and the ark, right? I mean, even people who aren't saved know the story. If you weren't, even if you weren't in church, you might have known the story. But most of us learned it when we were yay high. And it's one of the popular stories in the Bible. So I want to look at it this morning um, a little bit more in the context of where it is in the Bible and just um, hopefully go a little deeper and get some insights into why Noah is included in the Faith Hall of Fame. And when we look at the story of Noah, we first have to understand the context of the story. And this story is situated with, um, in the very beginning of the Bible. The first 11 chapters of the Bible can be considered a section of the Bible, and Noah is right in the center of the first 11 chapters of Genesis, so right in the beginning of the Bible. And it can even be said that since this is the beginning of the Bible, the first 11 chapters, the start of the whole story, it's key to understand these 11 chapters in order to understand the rest of the Bible and the story, the whole narrative of Scripture as a whole and God's redemptive plan. So it's important to understand the context of where the story is. So much um, is made known to us about God in Genesis, in this first section of Scripture. Right? God shows us um, his power, that he's the source of all life. We learn right away the nature of God, his love, his desire for relationship with us right in the beginning. We see the created order of things, right? There was chaos and God brought all this order in creation. So we learn so much about God's created order. We learn um, a nature of ourselves as humans, as people, our nature as um, intended to be God's image bearers, right? We're just, we're unique. We're not like animals. As much as people are, you know, you want to learn from the secular world, we're not animals. We're not like animals. God actually created us unique with purpose to be his image bearers. So we learn about our own nature as humans, and we see the nature of temptation. The sa- um, Satan comes in the form of a serpent in the garden, and so we see the nature of temptation and how he brings temptation. And then we see 
sin and the devastating consequences of sin on all creation in this section of scripture. We also see the first gospel message right in the beginning of the Bible. And a lot of you probably know where it is if I was quizzing you. But in Genesis 3, chapter 3, verse 15, I'm going to go there and read it. We see the first gospel message. This is after the fall, after they sinned, and God is speaking to Satan, the serpent, in the form of a serpent and telling and cursing him and letting him know what's going to happen. And he's prophesying. And he says in verse 15, And I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring, from Eve's offspring, and he's going to crush your head. He will crush your head. And this, of course, is foretelling about Jesus coming and eventual victory over Satan, his final victory and defeat of Satan and sin. So we have the first gospel message in this section of Scripture. And then, oh, let me grab my bearings here. So these things all lead up to the story of Noah, to the story of Noah and the flood. And God created everything, and he made it all perfect, and it was all good, and there was relationship, and he gave Adam and Eve two commands. He said, be fruitful and multiply, just two commands, and not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, right? But they broke the second command. We know they sinned, and they ate from the tree. So that's where sin entered the picture, and the consequence of sin um, was death, and it was death for everything and everyone and God banished them. That's where guilt and shame entered. Before that, there was no guilt and shame, but all of a sudden they became aware of their nakedness and they felt guilt and shame. And sort of after this point in the story, it's just a downhill spiral for creation and for mankind up until the flood. We can see that in starting in Genesis chapter six, if you're following along, the verses will also be up on the screen. But let's look at what God says about the wickedness of the world at the time of Noah. Starting in chapter five, uh, 6, verse 5. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. Things were so bad that God regretted creation. He regretted he had made mankind. So he brings a flood. He's going to bring a flood. He's going to destroy and basically a do-over, a restart of creation because every inclination of the heart was evil all the time. That's hard for us to imagine. But every inclination of the heart was evil all the time. So God is going to send the flood, but he spares Noah and his family. Let's pick up the story in verse 11 of chapter 6. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it, and coat it with pitch inside and out. And this is how you are to build it. And then God goes on, as you know, to give them the specs or the exact dimensions and the details of this massive boat that Noah is um, called to build. But the key to this chapter is at the very end of the chapter, in the last verse, verse 22, it says, and Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. And that is something that's repeated over and over in this story. Noah 
is often referred to as a second Adam. And I think that's obviously because it's like a redo of creation, right? Adam was at the start, and then God destroys everything and starts over with creation. And so Noah is referred to as a second Adam. And, but in contrasting them, Noah was different to Adam. And the way that Noah was different to Adam is Adam had those two commands, and he sinned and broke them. Noah, it says here in, back in verse 22, did everything just as God commanded him. That's the difference. Noah was a better Adam. He obeyed God. He did better than Adam. And so the narrator compares them. And then God makes a covenant, we know. The first, the very first covenant with mankind ever was between God and Noah. And it was a promise, a covenant promise from the Lord to never destroy the earth again with a flood. Before Noah and the flood, there was no hope. The only outcome was death because the wickedness of people was so great. And it was warranted because what we saw about the sinfulness of people, the death was warranted. But after the flood, there's a promise. There's a promise from God, there's a hope. It's like a new start, new creation. And maybe death isn't gonna be the only outcome. So let's read the covenant in Genesis 9, 11. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. So God promised them. And now I want to ask the question that was kind of the big aha moment for me in studying this part of scripture. Why did God rescue Noah and his family? Why did God rescue Noah and his family? Is it because Noah was deserving? Is it because of his obedience? We may initially think that, right? That, oh, maybe Noah deserved it because he was a little better than other people. He listened to God. He was going to build this massive boat. Maybe that's why God spared him and rescued him. But if we look back in chapter 6, where we started, right after God talks about the wickedness of mankind, if we look back, it says there that he says, every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Did that not include Noah? This is at the beginning of the story. Of course it included Noah. Noah was a sinner just like everybody else. Noah was a sinner deserving of death just like everybody else. So if we take a step back, we realize that everyone was deserving of death and Noah wasn't excluded from that. So was he chosen because of his obedience? And I would say, in looking at this passage of scripture, I would say no, that he was chosen by the Lord just because of God's grace and his favor. So if we look in verse eight, right after this verse about the wickedness of the world, let's look in verse eight. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And God extended grace to Noah. He extended grace to Noah. His favor is his grace, and we know the definition of grace is unearned, undeserved favor of God. And Noah responded to God's favor. Noah's, even Noah's obedience was a response to God's grace that was poured out to him, to God's rescuing him. And you may say, well, what about the next verse that says Noah was righteous? He walked faithfully with God. He was obedient. He was blameless, right? Again, that's after Noah had received favor from the Lord in, this, in the story. 
But also, um, I would say that Noah was responding to the favor of God. And that just like we do in our own lives, we respond to God's favor and rescuing us, and then we respond in obedience. Because if we think, well, maybe Noah was a little, I mean, maybe he was a little better than some of the people then. Maybe he was. You know, maybe he wasn't doing some of the horrible things. But if we think that way, then somehow we think we can deserve God's grace by just being a little bit better than the people around us. Can't we? We can think, maybe I'm a little more deserving of God's grace because I don't do that really bad thing that that person is doing. And that's why I would have to say it's God's grace alone and his undeserved favor that caused him to rescue Noah. And that should be, that's just so freeing for us. And it just causes us to want to respond to God because of his goodness. God's grace is extended freely, not based on anything about us, just based on who he is, not anything to do with us. You see, this story is not actually about Noah. It's a story actually about God. It's about God. In fact, all the stories of the Bible are about God. Every story, God is the hero. He extended grace because of who he is. And so when we read these stories, we would want to be asking ourselves, what is God telling me about who he is, about himself, about his goodness, his grace, his nature, through the stories that I'm reading? These heroes are no different to us. These heroes of faith that we're talking about are no different to us. They're just regular people. They're just regular sinners like us who were deserving of death, who were deserving of judgment, destined for death, but God rescued them. He rescued them and set their lives on a different path. And in response, they have faith and obey God and they do the things he's called them to do. God's grace is our story too. God's grace is our story. Each of us has a testimony. Each of us has a testimony of God rescuing me not a testimony of our obedience or look at the grand things I've done for the Lord. We each have a testimony of God's grace in our lives that he rescued us from judgment, from death, and has set us on a different path. And we have a testimony that we can share with others about God's grace in our lives. You see, without Jesus extending grace to us, we are just all wretched, sinful people. Even our good deeds are like filthy rags, the Bible tells us, to God. The best we can bring is like filthy rags to God. I was telling someone the other day, I think it was here at church, I was telling them how Hugh and I were before we were saved. And we were, you know, it's not like you would look at us and say, oh, they're doing such terrible things. But we were just totally self-centered people living for ourselves, doing whatever we pleased with our time, with our resources, just completely living for ourselves. Again, not committing any major crimes, but not, you know, we were sinful people, just living for ourselves, not living the mission that God had intended for us, not doing what he had called us to do in our lives, not surrendering to him, doing whatever we pleased. We were sinners. And I think... We're all, if we all sometimes are honest with ourselves, it's hard to have that view of ourselves and be honest without Jesus of what we were 
And sometimes we do want to think, I'm, I'm actually not that bad, or I wasn't that bad, right? But actually, we're all sinners and deserving of judgment and death, but for the grace of God that comes in and rescues us. The favor of God extended to us. And he takes our lives and sets them on a different path, a path of pleasing him and living for him and a mission for him. My eyes are blurry. It's hard to see my notes. <laughs> Without the blood of Jesus and the grace, we're just all sinners, unholy, unrighteous, lost, living for ourselves, condemned to death. That's our story. But God extended favor. And just like Noah, God can still do great things through us and our faith and obedience. He's the same God. But there's more to the story, right? The story of Noah gives us this picture of Jesus, as all the stories in the Old Testament do. They give us a picture of what's to come in Jesus. Not that Noah was like Jesus. It's an incomplete picture. Noah, but Noah was, um, just like Noah was a better Adam, Jesus is a better Noah. And we can kind of compare them in two ways that, I've, that I uh, learned. Noah is, isn't a savior like Jesus, but he is someone that did right in God's eyes when Adam didn't. And Jesus, of course, we know is perfectly obedient to the Father. He did everything, everything that God asked him to do. And secondly, only Noah's family is spared from judgment in the flood, and in the same way, only those who are part of the family of God who belong to Jesus are spared from final judgment. And so Noah gives us this picture of what's ultimately gonna be fulfilled in Jesus, which that's consistent throughout the whole Old Testament. So how does this story apply to us today? How does it apply to us today? Does it apply? I think we've already probably touched on some ways it already does. But Noah trusted and obeyed God. He did what God commanded him. We're also called to live radical lives of faith. Radical lives of obedience and trusting God. Not radical in what we're doing, but radical in obeying God. You know, it's not about the ark, it's about the obedience. It's about the obedience. And we're called to live that way. God hasn't given us a job to build an ark. He hasn't told us to build an ark. I mean, maybe he's told you, but he hasn't told, I, I think he probably hasn't told us to build an ark. But he has given us a mission. He's given us a mission. He's commissioned us. He's given us the mission of Jesus. Just like Noah, we aren't saved because we're deserving, but we're saved from final judgment, rescued for a purpose. Just like Noah was rescued for a purpose, we're rescued for a purpose. Each of us is rescued for a purpose, and it's to be on mission for Jesus. And our, it's, it's in response to being rescued. It's in response to the grace that God has given us that we want to be on mission and live for Jesus and live for kingdom. Just like with Noah, God still desires our trust and obedience. A revelation of God's grace should never make us feel like we have a license to sin or live and do whatever we please. It should cause us to feel just gratitude, like overwhelmed with gratitude and wanting to say, Lord, what can I do? How can you use me to further your kingdom? 
We want to respond. Even though we haven't been called to build an ark, we're called to advance God's kingdom here on earth. Called to make disciples and to be on mission. It's not like in the Old Testament, right? In the New Covenant, we're not, it's not like in the Old Testament. God would come and speak audibly to them. And, come, and sometimes we want that. And I've met people that still want that and they're waiting for that. It's not like that. Maybe it can happen. God can do whatever he wants. But God doesn't often come and speak audibly to us anymore. And he doesn't always send a prophet to give us his plans and purposes. We have his plans and purposes. We know what he's on about on the earth. We know his mission. Even scripture tells us that in the past God spoke through the prophets. But now he speaks through his son, Jesus. And so we only need to look to Jesus to know what the mission is what we're commissioned to do, what we're called to, and it's to advance his kingdom. If you meet so many people who don't know what they're called to, but we know exactly what we're called to when we're following Jesus, it's to advance his kingdom. It's to be on mission for Jesus. It starts with our families and our friends, just raising our families to love and follow Jesus. It's reaching out to our community it's telling people about Jesus around us. It's inviting them. It's um, going to the nations and preaching the gospel any chance we get. We adjust our lives around the mission. And this was another aha moment for me. I was actually watching a little VeggieTales clip about Noah and the ark because sometimes it's good to watch like a kid's clip when you're, <laughs> when you're learning about a Bible story. Uh, but imagine how hugely inconvenient this was for Noah. How inconvenient was this. And the clip, of course, showed like Noah's son, like, I'm going to go home and, you know, build my house on my dad's backyard property. And then he got there and there was a massive boat being built. And he's like, what? I was going to build my house right there. And you think about it, how inconvenient it would have been for Noah's family. Maybe the boat was in his backyard, but we know it was in the desert and we know it was, it took decades and decades. I don't think people agree on the exact amount of time, but it took a lot of years to build the ark. The time, the resources, the money, the energy. Imagine when we complain about lost family time. I imagine I would complain about that if I was building a massive boat on a Saturday. So think of how inconvenient it was for Noah to do what God asked him to do. When we're on mission for Jesus, it is inconvenient. It is inconvenient. It costs us something. Right? It takes our time, it takes our energy, it takes our money, it takes our resources. It's costly. But we want to adjust our lives around the mission. We want to adjust our time around the mission. And whatever that looks like for you. We aren't just coasting through life. If you're like me, I kind of like to just float through life when, you know, when I was young. I just float and want to do whatever I want to do that day, not plan very much, just be really spontaneous and go with, you know, however I felt. So planting a church was a huge adjustment because, you know, there's not a lot of flexibility anymore. Your schedule is pretty set and there are just certain things you have to do. Kids was an adjustment. All the things are an adjustment. But God has a plan for us. He doesn't want us to just coast through life. He wants us to live like we're on mission. So we had to revolve our lives. We all revolve our lives around the things that God's called us to because we have this mission and mandate from Jesus and we have it as a church. For some of us, it can look like going to school and equipping yourselves. It can be 
um, in our marketplace, asking God, how can I use my marketplace and my workplace to advance your kingdom? How can I use um, the things you've given me, my gifts, my talents, my resources, my money? How can I use it to further your kingdom, to advance the kingdom so that more people can be rescued, so that more people can know you? It can be an intense season for some people of just raising our families to love the Lord and parenting. It can be a call to leadership in the church. It can be called uh, to start a connect group. It can look like many things. But each of us asking God, what have you given me and what can, how can I use it to further your kingdom? How can I use it to be on mission for you? Whatever it is that I have. It does look different to other people. Please don't make it like being a foreign missionary to China or something like that. It looks like where we are, where God has placed us right here, right now, what we have being on mission for Jesus. So it's not a one day when I get to that place. So when we look at Noah, the most important thing isn't that he built the ark. The most important thing is that he did what God asked him to do. He responded to God's grace. He responded to God and he did what God asked. He wasn't deserving. He wasn't deserving like any of us, but God graciously extended his grace and rescued him and gave him a mission. He spared him, he gave him a mission. He spared us. He gave us a mission to advance his kingdom, saying, what can I do? What can I do to further the mission? And I believe if we're all doing that, Restoration Church will be unstoppable for Jesus. Unstoppable. Just that revelation that I'm on mission for the king. The same God who rescued Noah, the same God who extended grace to Noah's family is still the same God today. And he is willing, just like Hugh said this morning, and able and wants to do miracles and great things through us. We serve the God of Moses, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, the God of David, of Joseph, of Noah. He's the same God. The God who parted the Red Sea so that he could free his people from captivity from the Egyptians. He's the same God. The God who killed Goliath and used David to kill Goliath. The God who kept every single one of his promises to Abraham, every single one of his promises, even though they were completely unfaithful all the time. He kept every promise. It's the same God, the same God today. We serve a big, faithful God. Let's trust him more. And I wanna challenge us this morning if we're not trusting for anything, we're self-preserving. If we're not trusting for anything, we want to trust God for things because he's big and he's amazing and he can do so much. So we want to trust him for things, for kingdom things, to use us more, to do more through us, to save more people, to make more impact in the city. We want to trust God for things. So I want to encourage us this morning Trust God for things. We don't want to get in a place where we say, I'm really fine where I'm at. Trust God for more because he is amazing and he wants to do things. Especially when those things that we're trusting for are kingdom things. When we're about kingdom things, we've seen this with our family, with our church, with our friends, with our friends' churches. When you're about 
kingdom things. God breaks in and moves mountains because we're on about what he's on about. We're on his mission, doing the things that he's called us to. And that, does not, that has to do with every single person. So have kingdom visions and our dreams and things that we're trusting for. And you'll see God break in and move mountains. So hopefully this morning through the story of Noah, each of us are reminded of God's incredible grace, his incredible grace to rescue, his incredible grace in saving us, and that he saved us to be on mission for him this morning. And that is such a privilege to be a part of what God is doing, his plans and purposes on the earth. Thanks again for listening. We hope you were encouraged. Don't forget to connect with us through our website, restoration.life, as well as on Facebook and Instagram.